She's a licensed therapist. He's a professional educator. Together, they offer their experience and insights, normalizing concerns of everyday life. And now, here's the deal with Audrey Nelson and Devin Clapper. Hey, Audrey, I don't know. You you have been a licensed therapist. You're a life coach. You've been doing both of those. You've got an amazing practice. You obviously speak truth to your friends. Um, you know, when it comes Why to are you dating, being so nice to me. I know, What's, I know. It's the setup. Are you going to me in my sleep tonight? Regular listeners Jeez. are like, "What's going on?" They're driving off the road. They're <laughs> losing their pace on the treadmills in the gym. There's like, "What is happening? What podcast am I listening to right now?" Oh Sorry, man! Go ahead. More no, no, it's, continue. Yeah, no, it's okay. So, I, and I don't know if I told you when it comes to dating and stuff. I don't know. Did I? Did I tell you, Audrey, that um, I almost started dating um, a gal that was a psychic? But, no. Yeah, well, she left me before we met. But um, anyway, uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Some dun, of you will get that later. Dun, dun, dun. Um, well, well, listen, dear listener, welcome to Here's the Deal. I'm Devin Cleffer, one of your hosts, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Audrey Nelson, who is licensed therapist and life coach. And Audrey, listen, I, we get excited when we have guests on this program, but gosh darn it, when you told me that we were going to have Lisa Shield come on the show, I said... I have no idea who that is. I have to go research. And, and you said, and you said with great enthusiasm, like a little kid on Christmas morning, I can't wait. And that's pretty much been what you've been repeating up until this day. So I'm excited because I've done my due diligence now and I know who Lisa is, but I'm going to toss it over to you and let you welcome Lisa to the program. Lisa is fabulous. I'm so excited to have her here. So so, so here is, is how I know Lisa and how I met her. So Lisa and I were in the same graduate program, University of Santa Monica, years ago. And during class breaks, we would have meals together. And we would talk a blue streak about boys and dating. I mean, we, that's, I, I mean that's mainly what I remember we would talk about. And we would talk about our process and our feelings. And we would impact we would unpack how I feel. What do I think of this? And analyzing them. And what's this mean? And da, 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 da. And then we lost touch. And then cut to, I see her on Facebook. I have chills. I'm already getting chills talking about this. I see her on Facebook. She has become a love dating coach. Uh, and she's married and has a long-term marriage. And she's just the way that she's talking about herself and her transformation and dating. And I was just like blown away. And what I, so I could see the transformation. So I went, this woman is the real deal mm. because I saw where she was and where she is now. And I know what work it takes to in between. So I was like, we have to get her on. She's, and she's well-spoken and she's funny and she keeps it real. And she's wherever you are in your dating cycle, she's been there. Trust me. She's been there. So she knows her stuff. So I'm so excited to have Lisa here and let me give you, just read the bio and give you the formal introduction. Lisa Shield is a love, dating, and heart-opening ninja with 18 years of experience. Lisa has a master's degree in spiritual psychology and is a certified life and relationship coach. She has been fe a featured expert in the Huffington Post, BuzzFeed, LA Times, and Cosmopolitan. She was also a guest on ABC News and The Millionaire Matchmaker. Last year, 12 of Lisa's LA-based clients were married. And she was asked to officiate four of those weddings. She and her husband, Benjamin, are passionately in love after 18 years. And they live in Santa Fe with their three dogs, Milo, Jax, and Oliver. So, Lisa, welcome to the show. Oh, Audrey, it is so wonderful <laughs> to be here. You have no idea. Yay. Thank you for having me. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, we want to talk this this dating thing, um, which there's so much content here, but I, I'd love to start with your transformation because I really haven't heard the whole story and I'd really like the listeners to get a sense of who you are and, you know, just know about your background and what you've been through and where you are now. Fantastic. So I will start very briefly with childhood where my parents hated each other, mm. literally hated each other. And I remembered thinking as a little bitty girl, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Something is seriously wrong here. 
And I think that really set the tone for me for my entire life. Because looking back, I think, you know, I couldn't live in a world without love. I couldn't believe that that was how adult people treated each other. That couldn't, but, but it did set me up, right? Like everybody else for, I got a bag of uh, garbage from my parents, as mm -hmm. I like to say. And like everybody else, I had to work through that, right? I think as we all as kids get handed a certain bag of stuff and from our families, from our parents, and we just, we're gonna have to work through it. So uh, my dad left my mom for another woman when I was eight years old, and my mom wound up dying of cancer, of breast cancer when I was 15. So I was literally on my own. My grandmother was died when I was 21. She sort of stepped in, my mother's mother, and I was on my own, and it was very, hard because I had little parenting. I had grown up in a very chaotic family and I was trying to sort things out. So I married the first man who paid attention to me. I had zero self-esteem and I just wanted somebody, anybody to feel like I had a person mm. in this world. And I stayed with him for 13 years. He was a pathological liar. And I didn't know it because I was too close to him in this relationship. I couldn't really see what was going on. And at the same time, I had my stuff. So we were extremely codependent with each other. I was focused on trying to save him and fix him. And I wasn't looking at my stuff. I was really making it about him. And I didn't realize that I was literally stuck in my life. Mm. And I don't know if either of you have ever felt stuck before, mm -hmm. but, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a terrible thing. Mm -hmm. It's a terrible, terrible feeling to know that your life is passing you by and you can't go forwards, you can't go backwards. You, you just don't know where to go, who to turn to, how to get yourself out of this. And so, in all honesty, I was I was a fashion photographer. I was living in Milan, Italy at the time, which sounds very exciting and exotic, <laughs> except that my career was going nowhere. Mm -hmm. And I became so frightened that my ex-husband was going to leave me that I started to really figure my way out of this. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I didn't have access to therapy because I was in Italy. And I, all I had was me. And so I think I can say this now. I don't know that I could always admit to it then. But at the time, the only thing I could do was I smoked a little pot. I went into the dark room and I would print. And for three months, I was in the dark room in Milan, Italy. We were living in a basement of a of an apartment that looked like a dark cave and so I was literally in the dark like it wasn't mm. I was just mm. figuratively yes. in the dark. I was in the dark and then I would go into the dark room and when you're printing you take you expose the paper to light and then you put the images in the chemicals and you rock the trays and it was like when people are trying to self-soothe, they rock. Yes. Right? So there I was, you know, almost in a trance state. I was a little, you know, I had used the marijuana to help me sort of get out of my head, just to help relax me so that I could get past my fear a bit. And I was rocking these trays. I was exposing these images to light. But at the same time, I was processing my life. Mm -hmm. And this wiser part of me started to become almost like my therapist. And I've actually incorporated this tool that I developed into my coaching work that I do with my clients. So I developed this, almost my inner therapist, my higher self. I named him Pantangeli. And he was a cross between Gandhi and Merlin. 
And he was this little guy, he would shake his head. I, I had a visual of him. And we would have these conversations. And Pantangeli said to me, Lisa, why are you always so sad? And I, and I immediately, I knew when my mother was dying of breast cancer, I told myself I would always be sad. Mm. Mm. Wow. And then a boy, then Pantangeli said, well, Lisa, you made that up. And I said to myself, well, I'm going to make up another story. I want to make up that I'm wiser because my mother died. It's better to be wise mm. than sad. Mm. And then the next thing Pantangeli said to me was, well, you made that up. And then my, my subsequent thought was, oh, my God, we make it all up. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, that breakthrough, that moment of transformation, I said to myself, if I'm going to make it up, then I'm going to make it up. I'm going to consciously start to create my own reality. And that's what I did. I said to myself, I'm going to start to put a positive spin on things. I'm going to look for wins and positive outcomes. I'm going to start to take responsibility for my life. Mm. And it was really in that dark room in Milan, Italy, when I was 34 years old, that I had my awakening. Beautiful. And I left my husband. I went back to the U.S. I gave up my photography career and I started out on a new path. And very briefly, that's where, when I was in Santa Fe, almost oh, probably over 30 years ago now, I met Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote The Four Agreements, which was way before Miguel had ever written his books. There was a beautiful little spiritual community here. We would all, you know, sit on the floor, floor cross-legged and just look at, me, at Miguel, <laughs> soak up his wisdom. I mean, he was the right teacher at the right time. And that was really the beginning of this new life that I created for myself. So I, my whole journey in life has always been to find true love. And one last true breakthrough, I was in a meditation meeting. I was reading The Power of Now. Mm -hmm. And I had always known that most spiritual paths are leading us to God or unconditional love. But the one thing I didn't know was that they were teaching us how to do it now. I always thought that that was an ideal, but it wasn't real. Mm. And I realized, no, 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 they're teaching us that this is real. You can have it. It really exists. And I came out of that meditation and I said to myself, then that's what I'm going to search for. And it's what I found. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Lisa. I I appreciate that. And I can identify with so many parts of, of that story. I'm curious, at one point you mentioned that you you knew, had come to the, the understanding that you were stuck. And so would you say, both for yourself and, and your clientele, is being or feeling or recognizing being stuck something that is more common than not? You know, that's a great question, Devin. And I don't know that I address, like I say, wow, you're stuck. And I probably should be using that more. But... I think that they get to the to to the end of their rope. Mm. You know, and when it comes to dating, there are so many tiny little hassles along the way. Right. That you know, especially with online dating and and the apps and stuff, there are so many, not just the big things. I'm not even talking about like, you know, the stuff that you Audrey deals with or that you probably deal with in mm-hmm. your coaching, these deeper pieces of our family histories and our emotional baggage. I'm talking about how do I get a guy on a on an app to send me more than a one or two word t- response to a text, right? Yes. Something that simple will derail somebody's dream of finding true love in this yes. lifetime. It's Little. true. When I hear clients that are ready, they, they want to, they want the relationship, but the dating is what they don't want to have to do to get the relationship because of, ex- that's one of the examples that is right on because they just hate it. Yeah. They hate, they hate it. it. And it's demoralizing 
It's exhausting. Their friends can't give them the answers. Mm. You know, because like, Audrey, there's a super simple fix to that. There's a super simple fix, but even something that small can be so frustrating and so demoralizing for a successful woman. You know, a woman who gets dressed up and goes to a corporate job every day and is like calling out the orders and she's in charge and then they have to sit there and get one or two word responses from guys over apps. It's, it's demeaning and who wants to deal with that? And what they need, the, the simple fix is they need to put emojis and exclamation points. When you send messages, you want to just put lots of emojis. You want to make your messages seem very upbeat and passionate. And the men will respond to that. But if you just send, you know, a message with no emojis or exclamation points, that's often what happens. And it can really. Be- I'm yep. shocked to hear that. Yep. Can you say more? Sure. I mean, in what way? I mean, it's just like the guys feel the passion. Men are looking for fun, playful, passionate women. They are not looking for deep, intense, you know, let's have deep conversations. That stuff will happen. It's going to come up. But more than anything, especially in the beginning, they're looking for playfulness and fun and women who, who are, you know, who are channeling joy and happy with their lives. And so when you put exclamation points and emojis in your messages, it lets a guy know that you're friendly, that, you know, you want to make it with men. Yes, you want to have boundaries and standards. Don't get me wrong. That's a big part of what I do. Mm -hmm. But you also want to make it easy for a man to approach you. Hmm. Lisa, do you think, is is that more having to do because some guys, not this guy ever, um, but some guys need affirmations? Or do you think it's more of uh, not being intimidated by the woman or, or a combination? Both. We all need affirmations. We all want reassurance. Look, the scariest thing about falling in love, opening your heart to another human being is rejection. Mm. If I really like you and I let you know that and you turn around and say, wow, thanks, but no thanks, that hurts. Right. It really hurts, and it hurts in the beginning stages of dating, it hurts in the middle stages, and it hurts at the end of a relationship. It hurts. And so people want to know that that door is open, that they can walk through it, that you're friendly, that you're warm, that you're compassionate. So much of the work I do with women you know, there's all this stuff about you got to be feminine and you have, you know, are you in your feminine? Are you in your masculine? Whatever. For me, it's really, you know, are you open? Are you welcoming? Mm. Are you kind? You know, if I make a mistake, are you going to bite my head off? Or are you going to be understanding and gentle with me, Mm. right? That's what we're looking for in a long-term relationship. I want that as much as any man does. Sure. And so you're setting the tone with these men right from the very beginning. I'll tell you a great story. When I was on my first date with with my husband, Benjamin, he got lost on the way to the date. And I was sitting in the restaurant for a good 20 minutes. Cell phones were were just, you know, starting up. So I don't even think I had my phone or he didn't have my number. He called the restaurant and they put me on the phone. And I was so sweet with him. And he, I was reading, again, Power of Now, right? And um, Eckhart Tolle said, if somebody's running late, you just say to them, it's okay. I'm just sitting here enjoying myself. I am in joy. Mm. Mm. And I said to him, it's totally fine. Take all the time you need. I'm just sitting here enjoying myself. 
he heard that and he thought, oh my God, who is this woman? <laughs> he was expecting, well, where are you? And how long do you think it'll take you to get here? And you know, what happened? I didn't say any of those things. And in that one moment of kindness, right, of grace, this man thought, who is this woman? And then I said one other thing on our first date that made him fall in love with me. I, he said, what are you looking for? And I said, you know, I have, and, and Audrey, this was in between my first, our, our first and second year of USM. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you one other thing about this, but, and I said to him, I have been working so hard on myself. And I said, all I want to do is meet a fabulous guy and have fun. Mm. I said, I'm done working hard. I just want to meet a great guy and have fun. He said, that was the sexiest thing any woman had ever said. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So okay, but one caveat to that, one thing I wanted to share, Audrey, just for you. Mm -hmm. Benjamin, I found out on our first date, had written, had co-authored Handbook for the Heart, which was one of the books yes. that we had read while we were at USM. Yes. Wow. Oh my gosh. That is, that is, what a cute story. I have chills. That's, I love that. Okay. Yeah. So, so, okay. So I'm just going to push back a little bit, Lisa, because mm -hmm. I'm having these feeling reactions. And so I'm thinking, if I'm having them, there's got to be some other people out there that are listening that have this, right? So, so I'm not really, especially when I'm, no, let me be honest. Probably with men, I'm not really an emoji, I call it foofy, foofy kind of person. And so I'm thinking, having fun, yeah, that's great. But I'm, I, and maybe this is why I'm not in a place to date. But I also come with like, we all want to be seen and heard for sure. So I want a man that can have the deep conversations, the hard conversations that can show up, that can pull his weight that can <clears throat> multitask, do the things that, that I can do, someone who's my equal. And mm -hmm. so when I hear emojis and, and I, I just get anxious, like what about all the other stuff? There's so many other things I want to make sure that he can do and we can connect on. And the more I talk, the more I realize why I'm single and that's okay. <laughs> but I'm just saying. <laughs> but so it's kind of like for those of us that are like, what? Like I'm not really the cute emoji cutesy type and what about all these other things that I really want that are important for me for lifetime partnership and and most I don't want to speak for people but the people that that I know clients and friends that want relationship especially in their late 30s 40s early 50s they're looking at lifetime companionship partnership and so when I hear I just want to have fun I go <gasps> Like I have two kids. I need someone who could like provide and show up and who, right. <clears throat> so what do you say to those of us who kind of have that reaction? Well, first of all, why can't you have fun doing all of that? Why wouldn't it be more way more fun with your partner to raise two kids, yeah. to have your guy there, to throw the kids in the car and go away for the weekend or take a trip to Disneyland or mm -hmm. do those things? I mean, it's got, you want your lover, your playmate, and your best friend. That's what you want. You want a true partner. But the best part of any partnership the, the, the icing on the cake of all of that is that having that person there does make it, it makes life just more pleasurable. Mm -hmm. Life is heavy and hard for all the single moms out there. They're going it alone. They're, they're you know, slug, sludging through, slogging through mm -hmm. life, like try with 20 juggling, you know, 20 balls in the air. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you want fun as much as anybody. And all the other stuff, Audrey, you're nobody's fool. You can sit back and observe this man and see if he's up to snuff, right? You're going to be knowing, especially if you work with me, don't think that we don't get crystal clear on what you want and need in a partner. You're there dating multiple men at one time. So I don't have my clients just jump in with one guy and just go for it. They're dating 
three guys at a time so that they don't just jump into something and they're really assessing. I do a, a, a something with my clients that they say is brilliant, like mm -hmm. over and over and over again. I developed a process with my clients. The work with me is deep, but the deep, the deepest work you're doing is on, you know, first is on yourself, mm -hmm. right? Do, do you get that, Devin? Like that's I, the yeah, absolutely. And well, and I'll, I'll fully confess that I'm super confused because I've got evidence on my phone of a string of messages from Audrey that's nothing but a middle finger emoji. So she's not afraid to use them. A middle finger. She ain't afraid to use them. Um, yeah. It's just a matter of how many middle fingers come through in one particular message is, is the only question that's before it's us today. It's my favorite emoji. It is. It is clearly. Maybe that's add that to the list yeah yeah no, I mean, <laughs> let me share let me tell you something i hated emojis when they first came like i was like what are uh, you know wtf like what yeah. is this emoji <laughs> bullshit and then you know i realize i got class and i can do anything with class because that's who i am so yeah. i can you know, I can be be very classy and use emojis. It's all about how you hold your own self and see yourself mm. and who you're being, how you mm -hmm. show up in the world. Nobody's going to look at me and go, God, she uses emojis like a 15-year-old girl. Yeah. I, mean, I just don't <laughs> put that out. But, you know, am I going to put a cute little wink at the end of a mm. coy statement for emphasis? You bet. Yeah. Yeah. And the goal is to get that man feeling comfortable and willing, knowing it's safe to be vulnerable with you. We all want, this is the, the, the paradox of what you're saying, Audrey. You want a man to be comfortable and be able to get emotionally naked when he sits down across from you. Mm -hmm. You yes. have to. You have to show him that you are a woman that he can do that with. Mm -hmm. You have to show up as that woman. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, one of the most beautiful things, my husband is the kindest person I have ever met and not kind in a weak way. I mean, this man is so clear on what his boundaries are. I get the look if I put a toe over the boundary. <laughs> but he is so thoughtful and loving in the way he expresses his boundaries to me. And so it makes it so safe for us to, to be human with each other and not have to walk around on eggshells together mm. because we love each other so much and we are so thoughtful of each other's feelings. Mm. And that's the way we created our relationship. So the, the my, my program is called Emotionally Naked Dating. Because what we long for more than anything is emotional nakedness. Yes. The physical stuff is, is, is fine. The physical stuff, we're going to all get there. And that's, you know, again, that's part of that icing on the cake. Mm. But that cake is, is emotional nakedness. It's the ability to talk about, to truly talk about anything and everything with your partner. My husband, who is the finest human being I have ever known, and I'm saying this after 19 years of marriage, right, or of, uh, together. This man looked at me one day and said, you know, I don't think there's anything I haven't told you. And he said, if I haven't told it to you, it's only because it hasn't occurred to me yet to say mm. it. Mm. He hold, we hold absolutely nothing back from each other. Mm -hmm. Nothing. And that's what I got from taking the approach that I'm sharing with you today. This is the end result of creating safety, compassion, that playfulness right from the start. That's what we got from using that as the foundation of this relationship. Beautiful. I love that. And that, you know, the, the thing... I can't remember if we were, if we read this book in grad school or not, but we were talking about, you know, the microscopic truth. 
Do you remember that, Lisa? Telling telling your partner every little thing, even if it's like hard stuff, like feedback about anything that's very vulnerable. And, and really, that's what breeds intimacy. So is that kind of what you're talking about, too? Like even giving each other really hard feedback and telling even the smallest of things just so that there's nothing in between you and your husband? Nothing. Nothing. Yes. yes, and. Yes, and. We say it with such love and kindness. We do it. We speak the language. We speak love to each other. So it's never said in a demeaning, critical, mean way. And we have so much, we have such a strong foundation and such a history of being loving with each other that that we can say these microscopic truths Mm -hmm. because we have that love. And I really, I wanna say one thing because this is one of my pet peeves when it comes to relationships. Um, And there's many because I hear so much garbage about Mm -hmm. relationships and what's possible and what's not possible. I, going back to my origin story, right? I realized I create my own reality. I am not buying in to anybody else's limiting beliefs about what is possible between two people who love and adore each other in a relationship. Mm. Benjamin and I, he said to me, I think we have the relationship most people are looking for. But the thing that is so extraordinary, and I see this in the couples that form with the women who go through my program and successfully find, we call this a guardian guardian of your soul relationship. This oh, is what I love that soul, not a soulmate, a guardian of your soul. This person is the guardian of your soul. He or she wants the best for you. Mm. They are they are there to protect and nurture and encourage whatever your soul needs in this lifetime. So what I sh- wanted to share is all of that to say that um, um, there never there doesn't have to be conflict and compromise in relationships. I never compromise. If something doesn't work for, if there's something that I want and need and it doesn't work for Benjamin, then it doesn't work for us and for the relationship. Mm. There's no need to go any further. We can find something that works for the two of us. If there's, if he's upset about something, which is rare, but if, if he's upset or he's having a bad day, I just, I don't take any of it personally. And even if it does have something to do with me, my answer is, honey, what's wrong and what can we do to correct this? There's no defensiveness. There's no self-explanation. It's, there's no conflict. Hmm. So I share this because this is truly possible for Beautiful. two people. Well, and that probably comes with a lot of both of you doing your own work, though. Both of you having really, really strong insight and knowing about your triggers and what you need to take care of yourself. So I'm I'm very clear that my soul needs my partner to pick up the dog poop, change the light bulbs, (laughs) change my oil in my car. That's what my soul needs. So I'm pretty clear about that. So I want to jump to sex, but Devin, jump in. I haven't heard from you in a while. Well, I mean, probably for me to say let's not jump to sex. But um, (laughs) before we go there, so Lisa, one of the things that that is in one of your videos, which you have – a plethora of incredible videos that I found to be so insightful and helpful. So, so thank you for posting that for all of us to enjoy. And of course, we'll, we'll include links to Lisa's um, YouTube page and stuff. So our, our listeners have the opportunity to peruse those videos as well. I, I'm curious because one of the things that you bring up in, in video that has to do with, with dating hacks, and you talk about going from an average dater to an excellent dater. And I, I'm guessing that that would also go from like, average husband or wife to excellent husband or wife. So here's my question regarding that though. At, at what point, if any, do we just realize the other person is flawed, I'm flawed, and we're just going to deal with our junk? Well, I, I am not of the, you know, I realize that couples come together, people come together and they haven't actually done their work 
and or they need to still do work and that they're triggering each other in the partnership like the Harville Hendricks mm -hmm. model of relationship and I know that that is something that happens and then you find two people who are kind of slogging it out trying to sit and talk about how to work those things through mm. um i when i worked with couples because i did do a lot of actually very successful work with couples i have to say unlike you know some people audrey we were talking about this really some therapists struggle to to work with couples Having because I'm in such a successful partnership, I think I was using my own uh, wisdom and knowledge to help them through their struggles, and so I could help guide them uh, effectively. Because I was in a, you know, I have been in a very highly successful partnership. But when two people are in a partnership and they're trying to work out issues and problems together, mm -hmm. it is really 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 tough mm. it is very difficult and there's a very low success rate something like the Gottmans say like three percent success rate with wow. couples wow. in therapy that's how hard it is because individuals when you're in a couple and you have your own issues coming up and you're simultaneously trying to deal with your partner's issue right. and you're trying to deal with your own emotional stuff, it's very, very difficult to then hear your partner and be able to do work with them mm. when you're in survival mode yourself just trying to deal with your own issues and problems. So it's very right. hard for couples to work it out together. Um, my theory, Devin, which worked very, very well for me personally, yeah. was this. And Audrey, I think you'll really appreciate this. I, I was turning 40 and I was in Los Angeles and there's more gorgeous women per square inch of Los Angeles than <laughs> anywhere else on the planet. I mean, we are talking about the most beautiful women on earth. And as I was turning 40, I'm thinking, this is my worst nightmare. I don't want to be 40 and single and dating in L.A. I've got to get this figured out. Mm. And I thought, look, I could sit on a therapist's couch and try to process this stuff for a few more years. Or I could do more self-help workshops, right? But I already really liked who I was by that point. I mean, I'd done USM and Miguel and all of that. I liked who I was. And I finally, I, I got it. I had another like breakthrough. And I said, look, you've got to start walking directly toward the problem, the mm -hmm. issue. You've got to get over your fear of men. You have to learn how to talk to them, relate to them better. You have to learn how to open up your heart to a man. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is what I'm going to do. Instead of doing the work on myself in a relationship to heal, why not use the dating process to bring up my stuff mm -hmm. and heal it there? Mm -hmm. So I don't have to bring it into my relationship. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I use the dating process as my spiritual path mm. to heal. And I welcomed all of the upsets, all of the disappointments, all of the things, the rejections and all. And I used that to trigger my own insecurities mm. and learn how to self-process and walk myself through that so that by the time I got to Benjamin, I didn't need to work through that stuff with him. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes, that makes total sense. I, I love that. Let me follow up just a, really quickly, Lisa, with, with that. When in this country in particular, the United States, and, and I guess Western culture, quote unquote, we typically have uh, a, a done a very poor job of raising boys and young men to even navigate, let alone process and and talk about feelings and stuff. So a, a lot of dudes are coming into their 20s, 30s and beyond where they might be, quote unquote, successful on paper. Um, but they're they're very they're very immature as far as how to, to actually process stuff. And I know some of, of your writings on, on your blog, as well as some of the videos talk about like we meaning dudes are 
pretty fragile. <laughs> and some of that is, is how we were raised. We, we stuff emotions we, and we don't think about them. And so for a dude or perhaps a woman who loves a dude, um, what are some ways that we as men can really like take a really sobering look in the mirror and figure out that we do in fact have some stuff that we need to work on? How do we own that? It's an absolutely brilliant question, Devin. And first of all, you know, one of the things that's, you know, you're, you're almost going to make me cry when I think about this because um, toxic max masculinity mm. is just you know, male. It's, it's not even just women shaming men. It's men shaming men for right. showing emotion. And one of the things that I teach my women is about um, male, ma male vulnerability and I do a lot of work on how male vulnerability is very, very different than female vulnerability. Mm. It could be a single line. I had a client who, uh, she was trying to get to know this man and he walked her down to her car and he said, you know, I'm having just, I'm, I'm really struggling to get over my ex-girlfriend. She really broke my heart. Mm. And then she got in the Uber and went home. And on a call, she said, that's all I got, you know, was that. Right. And right. I was like, that's all you got? That was true male vulnerability mm. for a man to <laughs> right. admit that to yeah. you. Totally, like, totally. That for a man was a, was a massive admission. Yeah. So partly what I'm doing is I'm teaching women how to be aware of when men are being vulnerable with them and mm. to understand like a man doesn't necessarily want to sit and process that with you. He may say that and then that's enough right there. Right. And then maybe there's an opening, you know, another time for more discussion, but he doesn't, well, wh what did she do and how did she do it? And what are you, how are you dealing with this? Mm. A guy may just want to say that and that's enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's huge. I actually had an interview, a, a Facebook Live, where I interviewed a couple who met, she, she met her guy through the course. And this man said to her, or said to the, you know, on the Facebook Live, he said, I have never been with a woman who considers my feelings the way Cassie does. Wow. He said, I actually thought it was just my job to make her happy in this relationship. And I didn't even know that it was okay for me to have needs or to get those needs met. Mm. And that was just, you could have, you know, you could have heard a pin drop if there yeah. had been a, yeah. a room. Yeah, you know. absolutely. Well, and, it's, and I know Audrey was was being humorous as she often attempts to be, but um, I, when, when she was talking about, she knows that she needs a man to pick up the dog poop and make sure the the oil is changed, mm -hmm. and and. Like I get that with a wink and a nod, but I also know like as a dude, like there are times when sometimes like we're just around to pick up the dog yes. poop and change yeah. the oil in the car. And, and, and so I think as, as guys try to navigate and become more transparent, more naked, if you will, there, there is incredible risk involved with that within <laughs> the male ego. And again, just not having that modeled for us growing up. Mm -hmm. So Devin, I think, you know, First of all, men don't want, because it's a catch 22, yeah. you know, this. Yeah. Yeah. Catch 22. they're told that they shouldn't have emotions, that feelings are for, you know, are feminine, right. big boys don't cry, don't be a pussy. Right. I mean, guys grow up with those messages. Yes. So then women sit around and go, well, why don't men do work on themselves? Well, right. because men have been <laughs> right. from the, the very beginning not to have emotions mm. and to stuff them. So what they're going to go seek therapy. They're going to go get help. Right. You know, when they've been told their whole lives that that's showing weakness. But I think, you know, as a culture, we need to start to make it okay for mm. men to have, to go to therapy, to, to seek out help, to give messages 
that it's actually very masculine mm. to ask for help if you need it or to find mentors. Men today need mentors. Mm. They need men. They need they don't even have people that they can look to, men right. that they can look to, you know, like a Magic Johnson or whatever, where they can see caring, compassionate men making a difference. You you can hardly find them. Mm. If you look at the political landscape, I mean, where are the great leaders that you look at and say, God, that, that, I want to, you know, I want, who even, what little boy grows up saying, I want to be president. Right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's just men don't have, they have superhero movies, but those aren't real people. Right. They're, so men, we, we need, this is a deeper, bigger, broader issue. Mm. You know, it's huge. And toxic masculinity is a big deal. Yeah. It is a huge deal. So um, the men, what's, what's fascinating is we did a retreat on uh, Zoom for the women who are in one of my programs. And we brought on four successful couples who had all met through, you know, the women had found their partners through my working with me. Mm -hmm. And several of these men who were very masculine men, these were dudes, these were not weak guys, mm. openly spoke about their the experiences with therapy and working with therapists and how life-changing that was for them. So programs like USM or um, doing therapy or joining a men's group, any of those things are, are just life-changing for men. Yeah. And I think they need to start to do more of that. I, I, yes. And thank you. And, and Audrey, I want to ask one more question. Cause I know Audrey, you're, yeah. you're you want to talk about sex and I want right. to honor that. Um, <laughs> let, let me ask this one because obviously Lisa, with your clientele, you, you are helping them be the empowered, right. To be the woman that they truly are and, and can become. And I, I think that that is fantastic. I also know that there is probably, if, if we're being honest, like there, there's some balance because we do want these strong women to, um, respond properly, as you mentioned before, with, with a bit of fun, with a bit of encouragement to not have this fear-shame cycle, which we talked about off-air. Maybe we'll bring that into our conversation. And at the same time, I, I know you don't want your clientele to also view men as a project, right? Well, he hasn't worked on his emotions and stuff, so therefore I, I can be the one to help them. And so I guess for maybe women that are listening to this podcast now, what insight can you give them about... Like, hold on, ladies. We don't we don't want to make it a project. We we want to make sure that we're responding with encouragement, but but he's not ours to fix. Again, a brilliant question. Um, I like her, Audrey. I like her. Yeah, a lot. I was gonna say if she says brilliant one more time. I mean, seriously. No, but really, I, I'm so impressed with the two of you. I can't even. I, you know, it's, it's such a testament to who you two are as people, mm. the level of intelligence behind the questions you're asking. And nobody can see us, you know, can't see us visually, but they're not reading these questions off of a list mm. of questions. They're really engaged in asking these questions from their own wisdom and insight. Very impressive. Um, so the question was not looking at men as projects. So you know, I'm just going to put this out there for everybody. Spiritual principles are really the foundation of our lives. Mm. You know, every time, and I'm not like some crystal, you know, angels and crystals and whatever kind of spiritual person. My spirituality is very grounded and practical. It's spirituality in action. Mm. It's kindness, compassion, forgiveness, gratitude. I mean, just those are my spirit, you know, these are spiritual principles. Um, one of the things that I started to do when I dated, which I think is, is, is absolutely essential for this, was first to humble myself, mm. to have true humility. Who am I to tell someone else how to live his life? Who am I to be the judge of you and tell you 
you know, how you could do better or what you need to do better. Mm. I want to come into a relationship and be accepted for who I am. That doesn't mean you can't tell me, you know, say, hey, I think, you know, you might want to look at this or whatever, but I'm not here to fix you and you're not here to fix me. And I don't want that as much as, and if I don't want somebody to have that attitude toward me, what right would I have to have that attitude towards someone else? Right. So I looked at going back again to my origin story when I talked about that meditation and the epiphany I had that we could have unconditional love. I worked backwards. I said to myself, well, how does one attract unconditional love? How do you even do that? And I realized everything works in reverse. Before I can attract, can get something, I have to first mm. be willing to give it. Yes. And unconditional love means I don't get to look at you or anybody else on this project, a planet, as a project. Mm-hmm. You all are, you know, creative and resourceful and whole exactly the way you are. Mm. I can reflect back or make a suggestion if I see something you know, that just isn't working. And I can reflect that back to you for your own benefit, Mm. but not so you can be a better partner for, you know, not so that I'm trying to fix you. Right. But I sat across, I realized I couldn't ask a man to love me unconditionally if I wasn't first willing to love and accept him unconditionally. Mm. So I didn't share this, but I went on 96 first dates. Wow. And um, I sat across from men and I asked myself on those dates, could I love and accept this man unconditionally? And if I got, if a no came back, I mean, he could have been a perfectly great guy, mm-hmm. but if the answer was no, then it was no. And when I sat across from Benjamin, it was hell. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if this, if he'll have me, I'm all in. Wow. So, you know, I, and I didn't know at that moment, like this was my guy. I don't mm. want to put that out there, but I was like, you know, I really want to see where this could go. Cause this guy is amazing. And I knew it. Yeah. I knew I, it the minute I met him. That is absolutely amazing. Hey, here's what we're going to do listeners. We're actually going to, we're going to wrap this episode up, but, but fear not because we're going to have part two with Lisa and we're going to get to really, I, I don't know if I'm more excited to hear Lisa's insights on this or just to, to hear Audrey ask questions about sex, but you'll have to come back to the next episode to find out how that goes. As always, you can find our incomplete archive of shows at here's the deal podcast.com. We're available on Apple podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Here's the Deal. Be sure to visit us online at heresthedealpodcast.com to find our full archive of shows or to suggest a topic for a future show. Here's the Deal, normalizing concerns of everyday life. Mm-hmm.